everybody. It's wonderful to see you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for making the effort to be here. We, uh, we're in this series called InstaFam, and if you're a guest or a regular attender, all of us have been, in one way or another, associated with some kind of family. And this series is kind of based loosely off of a very popular smartphone app called Instagram, where you can take photographs and then send them with all kinds of different shading and editing to each other, kind of tell them about your life. Well, God sent to us a lot of Instagrams about life, about relationships, about family. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're sharing the pictures of family that God gave us so that we can kind of evaluate ourselves against them and and learn from them and grow from them. This weekend, as we continue in InstaFam, we're going to, to move from marriage to what happens often when people get married. They become not just husband and wife, they become parents. And we're going to talk about the whole idea of parenting and what the investment of parenting should do. And to get into it, I kind of have a question for you. Have you ever noticed how the younger generation is significantly different from the older generations. Have you noticed this? Now, and I'm not talking about gray hair and wrinkles. I mean, I get that, you know. I'm talking about the younger generation tends to be extremely different in what they're concerned about and in what they embrace and value than older generations. I mean, it's like the concerns and values between the generations has, has changed significantly. In fact, I'll just point it out, and sometimes this is for the good, and sometimes it's for the bad, but, but change occurs from one generation to the next. For example, in this younger generation's world, they, they seem to be extremely, in general, passionate about the environment. It's like the younger generation has a passionate concern for the environment that, that the older generations don't tend to have in general. You see, in, in my day, and of course I'm not part of the older generation, <clears throat> but, but in, in my day, they were just trying to get us to throw our trash in a garbage can. I mean, there was this thing called littering and everybody just kind of threw their trash around and all of a sudden someone woke up and decided it might not be a good thing to just keep throwing trash on the ground. And so they made a huge campaign to get people to put their trash in a receptacle, in a trash can. It was a big deal and it kind of worked. But... Man, a lot's changed. Because now, this younger generation, it's not about getting your trash in a trash can. It's about figuring out which of the 120 different receptacles you're supposed to put the trash in. I mean, all kinds of different recyclables, all kinds of different products. There's a place for plastic, well, soft plastic, hard plastic, place for aluminum. It's just crazy. And it goes way beyond that environmental concern. Big change. There's another big difference between the younger generation and the older generations. There's a changing concern, a changing awareness about food. Now, when I was growing up, I mean, you, you, you ate what was put on the table and you didn't complain about it. You were thankful to have some food. Oh, not anymore. I, I, I never even had heard this word until my daughter came home and told me she was this. Vegan. I mean, she came on, I'm a vegan now. I go, what planet is that from? I mean, I, it was really hard for me to figure out what it was. I'd never heard of it. I'd heard of vegetarianism a little bit, but it wasn't a big deal. And, but now the younger generation, I mean, food's a big deal. Tons of vegans, and I know some in the older generation do this, but it's heavy-weighted to the younger generation. 
And, and I mean, organic foods are huge, and health foods are big. And in fact, there are billboards now. I don't know if you've seen these around our area, where uh, they have a picture of a of a gal hugging a dog and says, "You don't really love animals if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan." And you know what they're saying? They're saying, you don't really love animals if you eat them. And there is a little bit of truth to that, if you think about it. But what they're really saying is, if you eat any form of meat, you don't really love animals. And so there's a huge difference in the view of food between the generations. There, among the younger generation, is a growing concern for social justice. Social justice, where they're not just concerned with their own lives. Very often, they're passionate about getting justice for people all around the world, people they've never even met, which is really a phenomenal thing if you think about it. I, the younger generation, to a far greater extent than I remember in our generation, really, really genuinely cares about the poor, about those who are trapped in sexual trafficking, the slavery of sexual trafficking around the world, which is a huge deal, and about improper work force uh, of children in the world and enslaved people who don't get the proper salaries. The younger generation's really big on social justice. And I grew up in a day where, where our parents used us as slave labor. And so it was an entirely different world, and the generations have a different view of it. Uh, there, there's another big change between the generations in general. Uh, the values on sexual, sexual morality have changed greatly between the generations. Think about sex before marriage. I mean, in the older generations, it, though certainly sex has been around forever and, and people have done these kind of things forever, it was really against the values of culture in general. And so those who participated in this, you know, didn't let it be known or tried to keep it hidden and, and they knew it was considered wrong. But now the vast majority, I mean the vast majority of young people, engaged in sex outside of marriage and, and there's nothing wrong with it in their mind. I mean, talk about values changing and, and then living together outside of marriage. The majority today, the majority, not the minority, the majority today live together before they get married and think there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, actually celebrate it, think this is a smart thing to do. Well, boy, that's different than the older generation's view and experience. Huge change in concern and values. And then you can get into the whole idea of homosexuality and gay marriage. There's a significant difference between young people's view of this and older people's view of this. Uh, recent polls have shown that young people are now actually about split, 50-50, you know, 50% think, hey, that's great, no big deal, and 50% don't. But among the older generation, 60s and 70s, it's four to one against, four to one. That is a huge shift in concern, a huge shift in values. And then one last, uh, the younger generation tends to embrace the idea that values are an individual thing, not a universal thing. That a person's value is their value but has no application in another person's life. They, they really believe that there are no absolutes. That, that you have to be tolerant of everyone's beliefs because what's right and wrong for me isn't necessarily right and wrong for someone else. There is no sense of absolute value. It's individual, not universal. And so they believe in a great way, the younger generation, that you need to be tolerant of everyone. Except, of course, those who have universal absolute values and thus are supposedly intolerant of others. It's just a weird change that's shifted, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. Here's the question I have for you. 
Why these changes? Why? I mean, what brought these changes about? What happened to make these changes? Do you you think something got in the water supply and something got in the food chain that created genetic distortions in our lives so that the younger generation was born with these different ideologies? They were born thinking and being concerned about these different things. Do you, do you think the older generation was born with these values and, and that's why they have them? Absolutely not. This isn't what happens. Both generations in their own time learned these values. They learned them. The older generation was taught, was trained, learned these values that they embrace and they have a hard time moving past them. The younger generation, the same thing. They learned them. In some cases, it was intentional training. Someone intentionally taught these new concerns and values. In other cases, it happened randomly and unintentionally. But either way, whether it was intentional or unintentional, it has changed the shape of our lives. The older generation was taught and trained in certain concerns and values, and it changed the shape of their lives. And the same has happened now with the younger generation. And here's what really comes down. It also changed the shape of the world because what people value and concerned about is what they do, is how they live, is how they invest themselves. And it changes the shape of the world. So where does this have relevance to parenting? With this truth. The way we train or don't train our children today literally determines the shape of their lives and world tomorrow. The way we train or don't train our children today literally changes the shape of their lives and their world tomorrow because it's how they're going to live. Now, right away, I I understand and I need to say again that we know a lot of you aren't even married. A lot of singles are here and we know a ton of people aren't parents here. We get that. And you can be sitting here and you can be going, my gosh, I mean, really? You're going to talk about this thing that's absolutely irrelevant to me, parenting? Well, first of all, it can help you to understand a little bit about your context and your life because in one way or another, you were parented. Whether in a, uh, what was considered a normal or common family or a unique family setting, you were parented. And you can kind of see how you were trained and you were taught and it can help you to evaluate your life and your shape and how you invest yourself. But beyond that, Every single relationship you have in life where you have influence, you have influence in friendships, you have influence in work relationships, you have influence in all kinds of different settings, you can apply the principles that you're going to hear about in parenting to those relationships. You can benefit from this teaching. It applies. So take advantage of it. But as it relates to parenting in particular, the way we train or don't train our kids today literally helps determine the shape of their lives tomorrow and the shape of the world they're going to live in tomorrow. And I hear as a pastor a ton of concern about about kids these days. Parents going, man, boy, I'm so worried about my kid's world in the future. And grandparents saying, I'm so worried about what's going to happen in the world for these kids in the future. What we have to remember is that it's not some fatalistic thing. We can have a huge influence in the shape of the world they live in by how we do train or don't train our kids today. This is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Look at how God said it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. Hear, O Israel. He's talking to his people at the time in the Old Testament. And he's saying, hear, O Israel. You need to be careful to obey everything that I've laid out for you. Why? Because that way, 
life will go well with you. He's not saying everything will be perfect, everything will be great. You'll walk through rose gardens and every day will be a sunny day. But he's saying, you want life to be what I created to be? You want to experience the fullness of life that I made you for? Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. You want to experience my promises? You have to obey what I've laid out. Then he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he's one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I'm giving you today, and you're to make them the fabric of your heart. They're to guide what you love and how you think. And then when they're on your heart, impress them, imprint them into your children's lives on their hearts. And here's how you do it. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In that passage, God's simply saying the way we train or don't train our children today determines the shape of their lives and their world tomorrow. As you read further in that passage, and I encourage you to do it along the way, it says that that the next generation will forget God if the present generation doesn't know God and train them to know God. It's going to determine the shape of their lives. Now, in that passage, we have a ton of stuff about what to do in relationships where we have influence, a ton of stuff about what we should do as parents. But, but I want to point out a couple of observations that flow right out of this truth and, and this passage. And here's the first. If training doesn't happen in the home, it will happen somewhere else. If training doesn't happen in the home, it's going to happen somewhere else. When, when moms and dads don't purposely and strategically make the choice to train in specific priority and value areas, training will happen somewhere else. And this is why, very often, our children's concerns and values are extremely different than ours. It's because they've been trained by others and not by us, or have chosen someone else's training and not ours. But it comes from training. It comes from who they're listening to. It comes from who's investing in them. If it doesn't happen in the home, it will happen somewhere else. They are going to be trained. God wants it to happen in the context of the right kind of home. Now, the best way to see these pictures is through story, of course. And God gives a story in the Bible, but we have story right here. Every one of our lives is built on a story. And one of our church family members here has a story that shows this clearly. If it doesn't happen in the home, it will happen somewhere else. Watch. Growing up for me was difficult, um, to say the least. We grew up in a, in a trailer park in Willis, Michigan. My parents fought constantly, throwing dishes at each other, um, chasing each other out of the house, uh, chasing each other with cars. They were not a happy couple. Um, my dad worked afternoons. My mom worked during the day. She would come home from work and basically head out to play bingo for the night, uh, leaving myself in charge of my two younger sisters, and this started around third grade. My dad was a cocaine addict, was an alcoholic, and when I was in fifth grade, he had an affair with my best friend's mom. There was a small Baptist church in Willis, Michigan that had a bus ministry, and this bus ministry used to send a bus to our trailer park, and my friends and I would get on this bus and go to this Baptist church, and it was there on the back steps of this church. I did the altar call and went out and was saved on that, on that back porch. But due to my family dynamic, I, I fell away from Christ 
Pretty quickly, I, I became an atheist. I was a staunch atheist. I would argue religion with, with anybody. I just didn't feel like I was ever tied to anything. I would, could do whatever I wanted because in the end, there, it felt like there was no consequence. I met my wife um, in 1997 in an AOL chat room. Angela was invited by a coworker of hers to start attending a Bible study here at Northridge. And then she decided that she was gonna start attending here as well. And over time, I could tell that it was, it was really eating at her that I wouldn't attend church with her. It's, it's something that's important to her. And so I would come in and I would sit here and I would play on my phone a little bit. After a while, I started to listen to Brad and I would go home and I would listen to the talks over again and then just try and pick them apart and find out, you know, what the truth is and all this. And after a while, I started to understand this is the truth. The, the message that we're hearing every week, this is the truth. And I started reading the Bible and in late 2009, I, I recommitted myself to Christ here. I, I started volunteering here on the audio team. And before I knew it, I was volunteering here more than I was actually working at my full-time job. I was brought on part-time staff here as the technical director for Ann Arbor Saline. And even though I was part-time, at the time it was 12 hours a week, I still spent all of my time here like it was my full-time job. In October of 2011, I was promoted to technical director of Northridge Church um, over all three campuses. I, ha I have to thank God for what I have. If anybody can lead somebody who's come from such a horrible, broken past and actually turn me around, I couldn't control the family that I was given. But I have the opportunity to influence my own family. My children attend here. They're, they're here all the time. They're involved in kids' choir and volunteering as well. My mom, through knowing what I do, has started attending Northridge. So today I sit here coming from one of the most screwed up families that you can probably imagine. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm now a Christian father, Christian husband, and have this wonderful family that I just look forward to continuing my walk with. Jason's story, of course, you know, is a story of hope that even if we're raised in a context that's absolutely contrary to one that would lead us to positive living, we can still ultimately find influences and exposure that can bring us forward. But he said something in the middle of his story where he said, due to the family dynamics, due to the fact that I wasn't getting any kind of positive training or investment in my home, you know, my peers and my world shaped me most and I became an atheist and started living a destructive life. If the training doesn't happen in the home, it will happen somewhere else, but it goes further than this. If, if the right training if the right training doesn't happen intentionally, strategically in the home, then the wrong training will happen either intentionally or unintentionally somewhere else. Because there, there are a multitude of wrong influences in this world and those are the things that we gravitate to. And, and if we're not being rightly trained in an intentional way in the home, then we will experience the wrong training and it will mess with us in a big way. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If bad company can corrupt the best of character, imagine what it can do to the character that hasn't yet been developed or invested in. 
It can destroy it, which explains so much that's going on in, in the lives of so many people in our world, in our own lives. And, and very often in our culture, parents feel helpless against the, the wake of culture and helpless against the influence of, of peers. And they feel like there's no way that they can ever compete with the investment of others. But here's what parents need to realize. If you're a, a mom or a dad, if If you're a parent, whether it's through adoption or foster parenting or biologically, you're a parent. You have a powerful influence in the life of your child. In fact, you have the greatest natural and most powerful influence over a child, if you're the parent, than anyone else in the world. It's true, certainly, even of those who adopt. I mean, the grace of that, the love of that is is huge. But when you have a biological child born to you, You have the most natural and powerful influence. You're the first voice they hear. Touch is a powerful, powerful bonding force in the life of all human beings. And you get to touch them first. I was there when all three of my children were born for the very first time. To which you say, well, that's really nice that you were there. Yeah. Um, I was helping my wife do the work. (laughs) You know. But I had the privilege of holding them first along with Roxanne. And... And creating this this bond of influence, this relational dynamic. And there's power in that. This is why God put children into this kind of family context. It's because this natural and powerful influence is the perfect place for the right kind of concerns and the right kind of values and the right kind of teaching to take place. There's power in that. And too many people in this world are wasting their influence as parents. Wasting it, either not using it to train or using it to train in low priority areas. I cannot believe some of the things that parents with their natural and powerful influence train their kids as being high priority issues. Talk about frittering it away on nothing and squandering it away. And this is often why parents lose their powerful influence to peers and other things. It's because they invest their influence in things that don't matter. And when the kids realize they don't matter, they're on to new things. I mean, I'll just give you a, a silly, superficial example, but it's true. There are some homes where the single most important thing in the world, and the parents lay down the law of their influence on it, is to keep stuff clean. You know, and they even say, they even make stuff up, you know. Cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it's not. I mean, they act like that's the Bible. Like God says, cleanliness is close to godliness. Hang up your clothes, make your bed, do the wash. God never said it. Now, I'm into being clean. You should take a shower once a month or so, you know. I mean, you should like do your clothes. It's probably not good to, you know, stack clothes up to the ceiling and let mold grow under them. I get that. But keeping your house clean, keeping your floor spotless is not going to change the dynamic of their life forever. And when you use your influence to act like that's the most important thing in the world, you're, you're misusing your influence. Others do it with education. It's like, you know, you need to know math. You need to get A. You need to know math. Like it, math is the most important thing in the world. Did you know people can actually live quality lives and not know math? Now, they're going to get a lot of insufficient, you know, penalties from the bank. But, but they can deal with that if they get a good job, you know. I mean, it's like, and I'm being very serious. There's nothing wrong with math. But it's not the essential 
issue upon which life is going to be built. And yet parents use their natural and powerful influence to do minor priorities. And they fail on the bigger priorities. And in this passage we're looking at, God tells us what the essential priorities and concerns and values should be. And I believe the moral foundations of this world would be very different if we stopped using our influence as parents to teach the stuff that doesn't matter and we started using our influence to teach the stuff that does. And what does God say are the essential issues of life? The very things that most of us don't emphasize as parents. What are the essential values and concerns from God's perspective well the first one is simple there's only one true God worthy of investing our lives in and following there is only one true God who's worthy of investing your life in and following look at how God says it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and then 13 and 14 hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one there's only one true God And you need to fear, revere, respect the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Invest your life in him only. Follow him only. And then it says, don't follow other gods, small g, the gods of the peoples around you. You you need to know that everyone's got a god or gods, everyone. And by that, it's not saying that they're really gods. It's saying that they make them their god. They fear them, they invest in them, they revere them, respect them, they follow them, they give their lives to them. And think of all the gods in our world. Money and pleasure and security. Being known, being famous, and on and on it can go. And many of our young people are living for these gods. And some parents support it. Your whole life needs to be devoted to getting a good job because everyone knows if you get a good job, you'll be happy because everyone with a good job is happy, right? There's nothing wrong with getting a good job. But that is not the essence of life. God is the essence of life. And I would rather have my kids love, invest themselves, and follow God with a bad job more than not and have a good job, wouldn't you? Because one leads to happiness and one leads to the other, but they're not learning it in the home. And they're not learning it anywhere else. God says, you want to use your influence well? Teach them there's only one true God worthy of investing their lives in and following. That's the only deal. That's an essential Are you using your influence to teach it? There's another essential God says. God wants a relationship with us, not religion from us. This is a big deal. God says you want to use your natural and powerful influence as a parent well, then you need to make sure that you're getting the right message of God across to them. You can't be teaching them, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that God wants religion from you. You need to be teaching them intentionally and purposely through your life that God wants a relationship with them. And, you know, many of us here are saying, well, of course he wants a relationship. I mean, that's what's changed my life. That's what's defined my life. And, of course, I want them to know that they should have a relationship with him. But unintentionally, very often, our influence teaches them God wants religion from us instead of a relationship with us. And we do it this way. We teach them that the most important thing we can do for God is go to church. 
That's an activity. That's not a relationship. Now, hopefully, we go to a church that inspires us to have a relationship with him and everything. But if all they see in us is us going to church, we're teaching them that it's about religion, something we do, instead of a relationship, a God we love and know. They see us or hear us talking about giving or this tradition and this ritual and this behavior and they see us going to all kinds of different places and doing all kinds of different things in the name of God but they don't hear about our love for him and how we walk with him and how we seek him out and how we try and follow him and as a result of it they learn that God wants religion from us instead of a relationship with us because that's all they see. They see the outside of how we pursue God instead of hear our heart about what God means to us. Look what God says about how we should be parenting. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what he wants from us, our heart, a relationship, not religion. And I believe one of the most destructive forces in this world is the fact that many of us, and probably many of us here, are pursuing God as this God that wants religion from us. Come to church, give, be good, you know, talk right even though that pastor at Northridge doesn't talk right. Uh, you know, talk right, and on and on we go. But the truth is, God doesn't want religion from you. He doesn't want rituals from you. He doesn't want traditions from you. He doesn't want habits from you. You know what he wants? Your heart. And when he has your heart and you have a relationship with him, you walk with him, you experience him, you know him, and what happens? Then it goes well with you. You experience the fullness he came for. And before I go any further, I think this is important. I believe many of us are here and we want God and so we're doing religion. But if you want God, then you need to give him your heart. You need to love him. And John 1.12 says he wants a relationship to all who received Jesus, to those who believed, put their full dependence and trust in his name. He gives them the right to become children of God. And I want to encourage you before we go any further, begin this relationship if you don't have it. Put away religion and give him your heart. And so just before we go further, right here in the, in the middle of the talk, not the end, in the middle of the talk, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. And if you're on church online, if you'd engage this prayer as well, just bow just for a moment. And if you're here and you're already a believer, be evaluating whether you're giving religion to God or your heart to God. But if you're here and you have no relationship with God, pray with me. Just open your heart up to him. Pray my words with your heart. Say, God, in this moment, I want to receive Jesus. I I need you, God, in my life. I've sinned against you. I've left you out of my life. But I believe that, Jesus, you died for my sin on that cross and rose to give me new life. And so I'm believing in you and I'm asking you to make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, we have this letter that we've put together that can help you navigate some next steps in your relationship with God, and we just want to get it to you. And so, in order to make it as easy as possible, if you're in one of our live services, we give you this program, and inside there's a connection card. You just rip it out. You fill out, obviously, your name and address, and then on the bottom, check that circle that says that you prayed to receive Jesus with me just now. And then there are boxes strategically placed at every exit as you leave. Just throw it in there and we'll send you this letter. And if you're watching church online, just just hit the what next button. We'll do the same exact thing for you. So God wants a relationship with us, not a religion from us. And we need to train our kids in this. We need to have it. But then it goes further. 
the essential that God gives us in this passage is that obeying God, there's only one true God worthy of investing and following and that, that wants a relationship with us, but obeying that God is the only way in this life to experience meaning and satisfaction. Obeying God is the only way to genuinely experience a meaningful and satisfying life. Look at how God says it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 and 18. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you might experience meaning and satisfaction and contentment, that you may increase greatly in the land in which I'm going to give you, flowing with milk and honey, just like I promised. Do what is right and good. Obey in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised. Can I just tell you why it's not going well with most people? Why it's not going well with you? Why at times it doesn't go well with me? It's because I'm not being careful to obey this God who knows what's best for me. So I'm not experiencing his promises in my life. The greatest gift I can give to my kids is to experience the promises of God in their life. And the only way they're ever going to experience that is if I train them and teach them intentionally that obeying God doesn't lead to loss. Obeying God leads to gain. Obeying God doesn't lead to emptiness. Obeying God leads to fullness. But if it doesn't happen in the home, it's going to happen somewhere else. And if the right things aren't intentionally taught in the home, the wrong things will intentionally or unintentionally be learned somewhere else, which is why most people, many of us here, believe that obeying God leads me to a lesser life than I can have if I do my own thing. Because we've been trained the wrong way. But parents, we need to use our influence to live and then train our kids in the right way. Obeying God doesn't lead to loss, it leads to gain. Can I ask you, are these the essentials that you're using your influence to teach? There's only one God, he wants a relationship with us and that obeying him leads to the life that we're longing for but so often missing. But even if these are the essentials that you're trying to teach, very often what happens is our kids don't listen. I mean, I get it. I was a parent. I, I, this is not a guy who was never a parent living in some theory land. I mean, I raised kids, and trust me, strong-willed, intense, passionate kids who knew how not to listen to me. I mean, I get it. So even if I wanted to teach them the essential things, they, they were, have a tendency to listen to their peers and other people more. So, so what do we have to do? Well, God gives us the approach that can help us move forward. And, and you just need to know this, parents, we have the most natural and powerful influence over our kids, for sure. But life cycle leads it to be less and less and less. When the kids are born, we have kind of absolute influence over them. I mean, they're there, right? And so we're like the coach. You know, if we want them to run sprints, they have to run sprints. We, we want them to drop down and give us 20, they have to drop down and give us 20. This is just how we're like the coach. But doesn't last long and then we just become a counselor you know counseling them through their agonies and those different things and that doesn't last long trust me and then we just become a consultant and I need to say this because it's so true a non-paid consultant in fact in this world think about this usually you have to pay a consultant if you want to be a consultant to your kids as parents you have to pay them and then they might let you consult once in a while it's crazy so we have to use our influence well as you go forward but here's what I found if we take God's approach even though we go from coach to counselor to consultant, we have a powerful influence as consultant and they'll turn to us first if we approach them the right way. 
What's that way? God told us in this passage. The, the first, if we're going to truly be able to use influence to train them in the essential values, we need to do it through a positive relationship. A positive relationship. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 7. Impress God's truth, God's values, what concerns God into the life of your children. Talk about them when, and here's the relational part, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You know what that passage is saying? If you really want to influence your kids, you really want that influence to grow, you really want to become their primary consultant, you want them to turn to you so that you can teach them about the essential truths of God, well, then you need to build a positive relationship with them. You can't just drop in on their life once in a while. You know, but I'm paying your bills. You know, and I have to earn your college, and I have to do this because God knows if I don't do that, you won't have a life. And there's nothing wrong with investing in our kids and taking care of them, but they need you more than what you can give them. As a, as a human being from my own family settings, I watched many people in, in my family setting, not my immediate family, but outside family, I watched parents who gave their kids every single thing in the world except what the kids needed most themselves and it just destroyed these kids I have, I have family members who have been destroyed by this you just need to know if you're going to really influence your kids and keep and build on that influence they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care you need to build a positive relationship you need to hang with them you need to be with them you need to make them a greater priority than all the other junk in your life uh, there was I mean as a pastor I've seen it so often parents when their kids are younger, don't really see the stuff that they're concerned about as a big deal, you know, and they're all excited because they scribbled on a coloring sheet, and the parents go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all excited because they did some little stick project at, at school when they were, you know, in first grade, or they, they're trying to pick out a dress for their elementary school graduate, and none of this stuff matters to the parents. But boy, when these kids start making big decisions in life about who to marry and what college to go to and where to go, parents are really concerned about it. But it's very often the case that kids don't want parents' advice on who they're going to marry and where they're going to go to school and what they're going to do with their life because the parents didn't care about the stuff that didn't matter to them when the kids were little. We need to build a positive relationship with these kids so that they know we love them profoundly and then they'll want our advice when we go forward. My daughters, I have a special relationship with all of my kids, and I, I really believe if I let them up on this platform, I will never let them up on this platform, but I believe if I let them up on this platform to talk to you, that all three would say that they have a, a, a strong and positive relationship with me and with Roxanne. And um, when my girls were in college, um, they would call me regularly, weekly, they'd call me and and just spend time talking, not because I said that I won't send money if you don't call, but because they wanted to talk to me. And their, their friends would, would say, who are you talking to on the phone? Oh, my dad. They said, your dad, you're talking to him like he's a friend. They say, he's one of my best friends. And, and their, their friends, they said they didn't know one friend who ever talked to their dad while at college, but they talked to me regularly. Why? Because we built a positive relationship. A positive relationship. And, and if you want the truth, they called me for advice and they called my wife for money. <laughs> because, see, I'm cheap, you know, and they knew mom would give them money. Uh, she bought them. 
I earned it. No, that's not really right. Um, that's not true at all. But you, we, we built these positive relationships. And she gave me permission to say that just now, just so you know. I'm not in trouble when I leave here. A positive relationship. If we're going to really use our influence well, it takes a positive example. A positive example. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. You can't just shove them off on your kids. They have to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. How? Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's that mean? Tie them as symbols on your hands means with every activity of your life, let God's truth and God's values be expressed. What's it mean that you should bind them on your foreheads? With the way you think and the way you choose and the way you respond with the philosophies of your life, make God's truth obvious to your kids. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Everything that happens and transpires within your gates and in your home should be a reflection of the truth of God's values because when it is, when it's lived out in your life, in your home, in the closest of places in your family, it will change their world. Too often in our homes what's happening is we're telling them what to do but we're not showing them how we live what to do. When Jesus came into this world, do you know what he called people to do? Follow me, he said. Follow me. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, listen to me. He said, follow me. Why? Because he knew if they followed him and saw his authenticity and saw his integrity and saw the power of his personal life, they would clamor to listen to him, which is what thousands did. Do you know why parents scream, listen to me? Because their kids don't want to listen to them. If you set a positive example, your kids will ultimately want, yes, peers will influence them, yes, the world will impact them, no, it will not be perfect, but your kids will always ultimately want the life that you demonstrated, that they're not seeing in other people's homes. How do you think it made my girls feel when they had a relationship with me that motivated them to call me from college and every other friend they had in school said, I'd never do that with my dad. They want that relationship. A positive example. And I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. The only reason I was able to maintain a positive relationship with my kids is because I knew how to apologize big time, you know? Because I'm flawed. But man, there's power in that. Do you realize the great power of parenting is proximity? You get to be closer to these kids for longer than anyone else in the world. But it's also the great danger Because if your life is not one of authenticity and integrity, they're going to be close enough to see it. Which is why my definition of success for most of the decades of my adult life has been having the love and respect of those closest to me. It's easy to get the love and respect of people who don't really know you. But to have the love and respect of those who live with you, that's success. Positive example. There's another approach God says. You want to make an impact in your kids' lives? It takes positive teaching. It takes positive teaching. Positive teaching. Deuteronomy 6, 7. And I know I used this verse already because it talked about a positive relationship. But look at now how it talks about teaching. Impress these truths, these values on your children's life. Train them. How? By teaching them. Talk about them. Teach them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's not good enough just to have a positive relationship with your kids and to set a positive example. You need to then tell them why 
you love them so much, why you live the way you live. We need to tell them God's truth in the context of real life. When we fail, we need to admit it and then talk about that as it relates to God's truth. When we succeed, we need to talk about God's truth and how it made that possible. We need to talk about God's truth in the context of our strengths and our weaknesses, our good days and our bad days. The real question is this, have you, have you ever really shared the difference Jesus has made in your life with your kids? I mean, how are they going to know? They see your life change. You're going to church, you're doing this, you're hanging out with different friends, you're listening to different music, whatever you're doing. But if you've never really, with a positive relationship, setting a positive example, shared with them the story of how Jesus changed your life, they're not going to know what's going on. You've got to share it with them. You need to wake them up to Jesus by showing them his love, by telling them his truth, by involving them in your life. You need to talk to them. And I, I've been a pastor a long time and a, and a friend of other parents for a long time. And most parents assume their kids know. Let me just tell you right now. Your kids do not know. You need to share it with them. And it's not enough to say, listen to Brad. You have more power in their life than I do. You need to share the truth with them. And finally, God says, it takes positive exposure. It takes positive exposure. This is a big deal. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. This I promise you, there is a multitude of fools for them to become companions of in this world. There are very few wise people. We need to give them positive exposure. Now, I know I just filled in the last blank. I know. I decided this week to treat you like adults and think that you could keep your attention even after the last blank was filled in. It might work with some of you. I'm not sure. Okay, but here's the thing. Positive exposure. Imagine this. Imagine this. You have a positive relationship. You're setting a positive example, and you're investing positive teaching in their life. And then you expose them to other people who build a positive relationship with them who are setting a positive example and who are investing positive teaching in their life. There's unbelievable power in that. Jason's story, the video story that we showed you, shows that there can be positive power in a positive exposure to other people. This little church that he went to as a kid transformed his life for a short time in spite of his family dynamic. Why? Because there's power and positive exposure. And then he came here and because of his wife's life and what was going on with his kids and what he was hearing here, his entire life was transformed because of positive exposure in spite of his negative family environment. His life has been transformed by positive exposure. Please imagine if you have it at home and in places like this the power that can have to shape their world and shape their lives. That's what church is supposed to be. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us meet together more, encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. It should be a place of positive exposure. Make sure your kids have positive exposure to people who will mirror what you're doing in their life. Training them that God is one and worthy of investing and following, that, that he wants a relationship and not religion, that obeying him is the way to go up. And, and I, if, if I was you, I would want them to be a part of sports teams where maybe these kind of essentials were being taught instead of winning 
as God. And if I were going to invest them educationally, I would want to make sure that I was trying to expose them in the right kind of arenas in this way as well. If I was choosing a church, I would do the same thing. Because understand this reality. God's only given you one thing in this world that you can take to heaven with you, and that's your kids. The only physical gift God ever gives us that we can take into eternity with us is our kids. It's important that we use our influence to make sure they don't miss it. And so, in conclusion, I say, the most important job God has given parents is to positively train and influence their children on the essential values of, of life. So if God's given you the gift of children, you need to use that gift by taking responsibility to train them in the right way. Now, you can positively have a relationship with them and positively set an example and positively teach them, and they can still go wrong. They can, and I get it. But the influence that you invested in them will never, ever leave them. In spite of the fact that they believed other people and believed other things and believed a lie. And always remember this, as Jason teaches us, the story's still being written. The story's still being written. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep reaching out with a positive relationship. Keep living a positive example. Keep investing positive teaching. Keep trying to expose them to positive things. And along the way, their story can dramatically change because what we value comes from how we've been trained. And if there was some positive training somewhere, it's very likely they'll come back to it. Make the right choice. And next week in InstaFam, we're going to take a deeper dive into values because all of our choices stem from our values and the home is the birthplace of values. We need to know how to birth them the right way. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.